0: Welcome back to On Farm. Last week we heard from Ed Smith from Norvite who was telling us all about his organic rapeseed oil project and those of you who farm out there but also those of you who don't probably would be interested to hear a little bit more about organic farming. So I'm joined today by two people One is a member of the SOPA, Scottish Organic Producers Association team, and the other is a farmer who has recently, or is in the process, I should say, of converting his farm from conventional to organic farming. So I might start off with you, Debs. If you could just introduce yourself to us so that everybody knows who they're listening to.
1: Thanks, Anna. Hi, everybody. My name is Debs Roberts. I am a manager with SOPA, the Scottish Organic Producers Association. SOPA itself, it's uh, the largest organic body within Scotland. We certify about 80% of all the organic farmers. We have about 72,000 hectares covered by our organic standards, which are owned by SOPA and accredited for use within the UK by UCAS. One of the other hats that I wear is that I am also an organic farmer in Perthshire. So my husband Jamie and I have been organic for uh, 25 years. We produce organic cereals and suckler cows.
0: Thank you very much, Debs. And Phil, I wonder if you could introduce yourself to us as well, please.
1: Yes. Um, hello. My name's Phil.
2: I'm a, um, a soon-to-be organic farmer from South Aberdeenshire in Scotland. So we're just uh, just on the, on the road to conversion. Yeah, I'm just here to, to try and tell you a little bit about my story and hopefully offer some positivity to organic farming.
0: Right now uh, before we kick off Phil I've got quite a few questions for you and and we'll bring Debs in as well um, to provide the the SOPA perspective Um, but before we kick off Debs I wonder if you could just tell us in as few sentences as you can what organic farming is. There will be people out there listening who don't really perhaps understand the difference between what we would call conventional farming and organic farming so do you mind just explaining it to us in lay, lay person's terms?
1: Of course I can. Organic farming is governed by standards. You can't call a product organic unless it's been properly certified. And the standards are currently written in EU law and adopted within the UK and all of the other member states. We're going through a bit of turmoil at the moment while we're trying to work out what our new organic standards are going to be within the UK post-January 21. But uh, basically, the organic standard is the only legal defined food production system The essence of organic farming is animal health and animal welfare. So we pretty much enshrine the five freedoms of animal health and welfare within the standards. And the first concept that you come about organic farming is that it doesn't use any chemicals, which is 100% true as far as inorganic fertilisers and pesticides are concerned. There are some products that are naturally derived that are permitted Things like synthetic vitamins for use in animal health and welfare are not, uh, so it has to be naturally derived. But there's a list of things that you can and cannot use. But the essence of, of organic farming is really looking at going back to natural cycles, relying on biology and chemistry to provide your and nitrogen through legumes and rotations and diversity within the the, the holistic farm view that you adopt. So it's complicated because there's lots of little bits happening, but it's also very simple because you just look at what your farm is producing and what's special for you. It's a little bit like throwing all the tools out of the toolbox and rewriting the script and just going back to the way that natural cycles work.
0: Yeah, that last sentence is really clear and pretty much sums it up, I think, doesn't it? It's it's all about nature and natural cycles and Phil, before you tell us about your decision to convert to organic, can you just tell us a little bit about what you farm and your farming background and perhaps the history of the land that you you farm at the moment up there in Aberdeenshire? Bal that's the name of it, is that right?
2: It is, yep, Bal Farm. We've been farming here as a family since 1992. I've only really been involved in the past sort of 15 years or so. We were a conventional farm, just all arable, growing oilseed rape, winter wheat and malting barley. Things have changed a bit, obviously, since we started converting to organic. We now farm red deer. That's our first um, livestock, if you like. So I'm just coming into the deer field at the moment. We've got uh, some young hinds in this field. Yearling hinds. Five young spikers as well, stags. We're in the middle of the rot at the moment. These are just needing a wee bit of additional feed just to help uh, help get them through the rut. They're still growing as well, you see. We're just giving them some organic oats. Come on. Come on. We're just walking through the, through the grass at the moment. Some clover-rich grass here for them. The clover just fixing some nitrogen in our organic system. They're just surrounding me at the moment. They're always excited to get some feed. arriving at the troughs now. Come on, you're okay.
0: Come on. And so you've been involved. You say you've been involved for 15 years. At what point in those 15 years was the seed sown? Excuse the pun. About thinking actually organic farming is the way in which we want to go. And, and what was it that kind of led to your decision to convert to organic farming?
2: It's an interesting question. Probably with not too romantic an answer. Um, it was. It was essentially. It was essentially a financial decision. After the, sorry to talk about politics. After the Brexit vote, 2016 we felt there could have been, and potentially still will be, but that's a different different topic, some uncertainty within agriculture. So we looked at our business and, and tried to look at where we could g- reduce risk and, and how we could reduce risk. And one of the things we came up with was, well, if we look at converting to organic, there's a five-year organic contract on offer there, which should help sort of us through that phase of uncertainty. So initially it was just a hedge against that Brexit uncertainty. We're now coming up to the end of our second year in conversion. My position's changed, I'm, I'm getting a lot more convinced by The organic movement and uh, well regenerative agriculture as well which um, obviously share quite a lot of uh, sort of ideas.
0: That's very interesting what you say there Phil actually because when Debs and I were speaking on the phone talking about in advance about recording this podcast Debs said something similar to me Debs you said often people convert to organic and their primary motivation at that decision making point in time is is a financial one but that actually those people then go on to have their minds converted, as it were, as in that they, they then become completely convinced by the, the other arguments for organic farming. And that's really interesting. And I wonder if you could just maybe tell us a bit more about some of the experiences you've had chatting to, to other farmers about that mindset shift.
1: It's pretty much uniform, actually, Anna. You've got that correct. I can't think of one organic farmer, and I've probably spoken to hundreds, if not a thousand organic farmers When you're talking about conversion, the first trigger, the first thing that makes you think about it is finances. But the journey you go through conversion, which Phil is experiencing at the moment, it makes you start to think about your farming practices and how you run your farm. What people say to me is that all of a sudden they don't have an instruction book. The instructions on the side of a, a spray can of pesticide. They don't have that instruction book anymore. So they have to work out themselves. So they become really, in fact, extremely intuitive researchers. They do an awful lot of research trying to find out because the rules aren't written about how you do this. It's tradition, techniques that other people have tried... They become sponges trying to work out how can I do this because it's quite a frightening thought to think that I can't go and get my sprayer out. You start to teach yourself about biology, you start to teach yourself about soil chemistry, you start to look at the way that animals' biology works, even simple things like biological nitrogen fixation. You know, what is that process and how how can I make that optimum, how can I make it work better on my farm?
0: For people who don't know, and and actually I'm one of those people. I, I, you know, over the years I've learned a fair chunk about organic farming, but when it comes to the nitty gritty of how the conversion process actually works. I don't really know a great deal. So I wonder if, if briefly one of you would mind just talking us through that, that process from the day that you make the decision to the day that you, you become certified. What what goes on?
1: So the first step is you, you speak to other people. You go to organic farm walks and you meet up with other organic farmers and you just start to tap into their minds and how it works. You then investigate how funding might work for you on your farm and whether you, how you design the claim, the application form, Um, and you go through the procedures that are set by Scottish government. What we do when we speak to converting farmers is say, well, these are the common things that we know you will come across. What we want to do is try and help you avoid any pitfalls. So common questions always come back to us. What we always say is that no question is a silly question, but the actual process is hinging on the EECS, this Agri-Environment Climate Change Support Funding Scheme, If the farmer isn't successful with that, they generally don't go ahead and convert. So we've gone through 18 months. I've rattled through that really quickly, probably two years, actually. When the point comes to you've got your funding, you've done all your research, you've got the organic standards and you've worked out that it's going to work on your farm. And yes, you're going to go ahead. You write to your certification officer with a conversion plan, which we can help you draw up or help a lot of people draw up conversion plans. And that covers everything on your farm from your grassland management to your crop growing to your soils to your environmental, your biodiversity and habitats, as well as all your livestock. It covers every single part, nutrients, the whole lot. That goes into your certification officer who's based in the organic team. You decide between yourselves the best day to start conversion because your start date depends on what enterprises you have on your farm. And we work it forward to say, right, say you pick the first of... January 2021, then actually following the rules for the complete two years, because that's the minimum organic conversion period you can have, you would finally reach organic conversion on the 1st of January 2023.
0: So, Phil, from a practical point of view, you're going through the conversion at the moment. What challenges have you faced throughout the conversion? And then, I suppose, in a, in a slightly more upbeat part to the question, what 's been really inspiring for you that you 've seen and learned and experienced through this journey so far
2: it 's been a fascinating journey to be honest. It is quite a step change from from conventional farming and and things are quite different and you, and you have to be ready for that, as Deb said as, as well. I think it is really important to have an advisor. We were really lucky um, I had an advisor colin wright he 's actually now a, a SOPA board member. He really sort of held a hand through the whole process. And helped us get a get a good plan from the outset. So, I think that's really important to try and do as much homework as you can when you're switching from conventional to organic. There's so much that you don't know, or or maybe you'd miss out on if you didn't have that advice. So, so we had had a really good plan, I think, from the start. In terms of the the challenges, our farm was was changing from an all, all arable situation to to farming red deer. So, there was just the the physical challenge of getting all the fencing up in time. Things always take longer than you imagine. It was certainly in my world they do. So it was a logistical challenge to do that. We had about 12 kilometers of, of deer fence to put up. That obviously comes with with a financial challenge as well. There is, throughout the, the, the scheme, there is um, sort of capital funding that you can tap into, which, which was obviously crucial to, to what we were doing. It wouldn't have been possible to make that step change in our farming direction without, without that funding. So there, there have been challenges, but I wouldn't, Say anything that I look back on and think, oh, that was absolutely horrendous. There's just challenges in in farming, trying to control the well, not control the weather, but reacting to the weather and, and just getting things done, whether that be organic or and, or, or conventional. I mean, it, it is a challenging um, profession, I'd say. But in terms of things we've enjoyed and, and things that we're looking forward to, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm full of I'm full of hope and, and optimism. I do feel that this. This step change in our business has provided us with a real opportunity. Going forward, climate change is a massive issue that, that we're all facing. Greta Thunberg has been fairly significant in mobilising youngsters, and, and I think they're the ones that are really going to be pushing organic and, and regenerative farming in the future. They're obviously going to be the people who will be spending the money in 10, 15 years' time. Obviously, COVID's um, taken a lot of our news feeds, and and, and climate change has maybe been down the agenda a little bit but it's a definite problem and, and I think agriculture needs to, to look at that and look at its role in that and the more I see and the more I think I think we need to just try and be positive try and make a difference um, obviously me being organic isn't going to change the world but it can change our farm and if a lot of farms change and that cumulative effect can I think have a really really big uh, impact on climate change which if you're producing sort of nutrient-dense food that's, that's helping to combat climate change. I think that's a, that's a great story and a great USP as well.
0: Yeah, and, and that, that leads me on, actually. I know that, that you also run a farm shop. And so thinking about the likes of Greta Thunberg and the people who are spending the money both now and in the future and the way they're likely to be thinking about the provenance and production methods of what they're putting into their shopping baskets how have you found the reaction of your customers to the organic conversion process i mean they won't all know perhaps that you're you're currently converting to organic but i'm sure some of them do and and how has that kind of impacted upon your decision making and, and your business
2: for us certainly there's a lot of progress to be to be made um we're in a bit of a a funny situation and often a farm shop is is born out of a product to sell directly to the public but we were a bit strange we decided to open a farm shop and tea room and it wasn't because we were for example big strawberry growers and we wanted to sell strawberries direct to the public it was just we had a building here we thought there was potential and we, and we, and we did that So I'm standing here just now in the farm shop, Balmachian farm shop and tea room, pre-organic conversion this was one of the first projects that we, we undertook we're confident that this will play a, a fairly significant role in, in the uh, organic uh, project as well. The hope is to try and bring our organic produce from the field direct to the customer and market it through the shop here. The shop's a converted coach house building. We try to keep a bit of heritage and a bit of authenticity to it, so hopefully it's uh, quite a nice building to be in. I'm just walking through to the to the deli at the moment. This is where we've got some of our ready meals. We're currently using some of the venison from the farm in the ready meals here. A selection of other things as well. So I'm just, just walking uh, into the kitchen at the moment. The chefs are busily trying to set up for today's, uh, today's service. I've just picked up a, a menu. So a breakfast menu, quite, quite diverse. We've got Eggs Benedict, a lot of sort of different things. E- Eggs Atlantic, full breakfast, obviously. Classic bagels, big bagels. Lunch menu. We've got some uh, interesting dishes on there, obviously some, some venison-based uh, products, venison burgers, steak burgers, fish and chips, crispy prawns, some tapas dishes, so hopefully there's, there's something here for everyone. We certainly have an ambition to, to have all our in-house production, the ready meals, pies, soups, etc., to, 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 be, to be organic. If we can get as much as that. Homegrown, um, uh, the initial sort of base products. If we can grow those on the farm and and add value that way, that's that's where we we think the the organics from the farm will be will be integrated into the shop. If we can do that, we can try and become price makers instead of price takers, which is a a common problem for for farmers. We're we're all too often price takers rather than price makers. For me, adding value is is hugely important. If we can add value to our, to our products at uh, every, every stage and sell them directly to the consumer. We, we feel that's the best way that we can, we can make a margin and, and hopefully that'll secure a good future for the farm. What we need to do now, I think, is, is to try and connect the farm and the shop so that we can start selling more and more organic regenerative produce through the shop, selling that story, trying to integrate the uh, members of the public with what we're doing there is a bit of a, an agritourism movement as well and I think it's just really important to, to try and open up and be as open and honest about what you're doing why you're doing it, why you think it's a good idea, the arguments that are there for it and. And I think there's real real potential for, for people to get on board with that. And yeah, for me that's that's really exciting. It is difficult. It, it it will be probably a more expensive product as a premium with organics anyway. And unfortunately it won't be for everyone. But I genuinely think that there's certainly a big market and, and there will be a growing market for, for organic produce.
0: Debs, Phil's talked about the Greta Thunberg and the climate change um discussion and farming as being part of the solution. And about consumers, and what we predict that they may want in the future, now I know that SOPA does not have consumer you know, marketing to consumers as a key element of it of its sort of activities, but it is something that you do get involved in um, from time to time with various campaigns and I was just interested to hear your thoughts on the consumer side of things and and where that might be going.
1: What we don't have is is a lot of refined information, particularly from a Scottish base. It's very difficult to get exact statistical analysis about how much organic food is consumed within Scotland. It has been growing for a number of years, but it's difficult to actually quantify it. There like to inform themselves so they ask questions and they want to hear the story behind the organic food and where it's coming from where it's being produced and who is producing it so i think phil is actually in a really prime position for creating relationships with the people who come to buy his food and come to his farm shop because you've got a story that you can tell and that's what people like to hear The next type of thing that draws organic consumers in is uh, talking about animal welfare and the fact that all organic animals are managed in a free-range environment. That's just the the baseline. We know that organic animals don't receive an awful lot of antibiotics. Uh, They do if they're sick, of course. It's always by reaction, it's not done as a prevention. Organic animals are always free-range by default. And they're always at grass, they're fed natural product, they're fed 100% organic produced food in their life cycle, and we're not allowed to use any GM materials on any organic farm. So we do know that that is one of the big boxes that get ticked by organic consumers, that that, that, that's the sort of thing that they look for.
0: What's coming through to me at the moment is actually that organic consumers who seek out organic are seeking it out primarily with the heart. They're seeking out what they truly believe in, in terms of production methods and animal welfare, etc. Phil, what is it that really grabbed you by the heart throughout this process and said, I am absolutely doing the right thing here and I'm going down exactly the right route?
2: What, What I found, we've been conventionally farming for a long time and I was amazed that... I didn't know or hadn't really heard much about the organic or the regenerative side of things. If you were sceptical, you would probably say that big sort of synthetic manufacturers, chemical companies, fertiliser companies, the guys with real money and influence in the conventional farming sector are maybe doing a very good job at promoting themselves and conventional agriculture and maybe not offering an alternative voice. And I think... I think that alternative voice is getting stronger. The initial sort of impetus was financial, but doing that research and, and and finding out more about it, you do start to uncover a lot of stuff that makes sense. There's a lot of environmental benefit, there's a lot of sort of food health benefits, there's a lot of nutritional benefits for animal and consumer. Soil health is massively enhanced and and, and that soil health argument is getting very strong with the uh, sort of climate change argument as well, the uh, carbon sequestration. The ability of the soil to sequester carbon is is huge. It's possibly one of the few things that will offer us an option to fight the uh, the legacy, well, the carbon legacy load that we that we have in the atmosphere. So when you start reading these things, when you start looking at it, I'm certainly no scientist, I'm not an expert, but it does just seem to make sense. I was amazed how much I found out, obviously so much more to find out and so much more to, to learn, but it all is out there. It's just, I'd never come across it. And I think that's what sort of swayed me and changed me and, and, and it's given me a renewed passion, a renewed drive, because at the end of the day, we've, we've all got to try and take some responsibility for what we do. Obviously I can't control the world, but I can control our farm. I can make decisions that I think are ethical and environmental and sensible and economical for our farm. And I think this is a growing opportunity and a real opportunity for for farmers. Netflix have currently got a show, which is uh, called Kiss the Ground. And when Netflix start making films about regenerative farming and when they start sort of exploring that idea, you you know, something must be happening. There's potential farming could become cool.
0: I think I'm think i
2: clearly at the the forefront of that.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I think it's already cool, but I, I do know exactly what you mean. We recorded the episode that's going out next week after people have listened to this one. And that makes reference to kiss the ground as well. And I think it's as a, as a show, but also as a concept and a discussion point, it's cropping up more and more. And it's certainly one that that's really, really interesting for us, for us to explore. Um, Phil, I, I guess I'm interested to, as well. Um, how has the organic conversion process that you're going through impacted, if, if at all, on the rest of your life, as in your non-farming your life, your life as a consumer? Has that changed at all?
2: I would say in short, yes, it, it has. I've Fairly recently become a dad, so I've got uh, a young boy. Oh,
0: congratulations! Thanks
2: very much. Um, it might sound a bit cheesy for want of a better word, but that kind of changes your world and changes a bit your outlook and shifts responsibility a little bit as well. And and for me, once there's someone else there, you start thinking, well, I really want to take care of this guy and and give him the best start that I can and put good food into his mouth. And it's, it's a really simple, really simple concept. And it just makes you think, well, maybe we're not doing things correctly. Maybe our food production model isn't the best that it, it could be. Maybe we should stop fighting against nature and, and start working with nature. And I mean, nature has been farming for millennia, mankind's just been farming for a fraction of that time and any problem that you come up against in farming, nature already has a solution. And I think we need to start looking for those natural solutions and learning from nature rather than trying to, to beat nature over the head with a big synthetic mallet
0: very 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 insightful yeah um these these
2: are just my thoughts clearly yeah well Um, there might be there might be people that disagree
0: that's why we're here we're here to get your thoughts and if they disagree they can well they can tweet us to tell us that they disagree
2: yeah if you uh, if you tweet anna and not me (laughs) that'd be great
0: At on underscore farm UK. So please do tweet us if you disagree, because it's nice to have debate. But Phil is here for a reason, and that's because we wanted to hear his opinion today. So and and we're getting it, and I and I'm delighted that we're getting it. But as well as your opinion, Phil, I think you're probably in a position to be able to advise offer a little bit of advice as well. So if there's a farmer out there considering, even just vaguely at this stage, converting to organic. What would be your advice to them if they're just embarking on that thought process?
2: Firstly, I think it's really, really important to to look at things with an open mind. Conventional farming has been the norm for the past fifty, sixty years. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with conventional farming. We need to we need to stick together as a, as a farming industry, but I do think we need to just question what we're doing, look at what we're doing. There is a lot of stuff out there. Just just investigate it. Speak to people who are doing it speak to an organic farmer if you know them ask if you can go around see see what they're doing ask them to to show you what their soil looks like to, to dig a hole on an organic farm and look at that soil structure look at the soil health and it can be really really insightful looking at and seeing what can be achieved
0: yeah i'm almost stumped for words actually because this has been so this is so fascinating for me it keeps coming back to that you know you start perhaps start with the the money motivation and you end up being motivated by a complete mindset change um not everybody listening as we've said will be a farmer so Debs if if you were talking right now to a, a member of the public who's again kind of curious curious to find out more about, about organic produce but also curious to to buy more organic produce what kind of snippets of advice would you give
1: to them So my top tips for um, anybody who's looking to buy organic food, first of all, look for food locally grown. So seek out your local farm shop and ask them to buy more organic food if they aren't already. We have a huge network um, of farms throughout Scotland, right through from Shetland down to Denfriis. There's plenty of organic milk. There's organic eggs, fantastic range of organic meats, so the choice and fruit, vegetable, always seasonal, of course. So, you know, the choice is there. It's uh, seek it out. And if you can't find it, then ask for it, because we've got a whole tranche of organic farmers who are producing the best that they can in Scotland. And we're just really keen to create short supply chains. So there is a relationship between the farmer and the consumer, the person who's buying it. So we're really happy to tell that story
0: um i'll just remind those people who listen to on farm regularly that several weeks ago now, probably it could be sixteen eighteen weeks ago we uh spoke with Jill Clark from connage highland dairy in up near Inverness and they are an organic cheese manufacturer and uh they just they're just one example of a of a business that you can buy directly from their shop but you can also buy online so a bit of a Google will help, but get in touch with us. Get in touch with On Farm if, if you've got any specific questions and we'll pass them on to people who, who really know what they're talking about and, and get the answers for you. But before we sign off... The, um, um, the Cornish Gouda
2: again. tastes tastes great.
0: Oh, do you know, I think that... Thank you. Yeah, I think that's my favourite cheese of all time, actually, is the Cornish Gouda. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. Tasty.
2: <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Big praise. <laughs>
0: Yes, definitely. Before we sign off, I'd just like to come to each of you in turn to see if you think there's anything else that we should or could be mentioning.
1: So um, one of the interesting dynamics in agriculture at the moment is uh the challenges that we're facing and when and when farming is under threat what happens is the farmer shuts the gate they just they become very risk averse and they close down and they don't want to try new things because brexit is coming and and we've got this this pandemic covid and it's it just the whole way that we live so there's a little bit of um confusion and stress you might want to say but also um some of the farmers I speak to, and generally they're not the organic ones, we tend to f- feel as if there's worry and a fear of the future. But whenever I speak to organic farmers like Phil today, who has done a wonderful job of expressing his feelings about the way he's managing his farm, and the organic guys I speak to, they don't, uh, they're not they not as worried. They do feel as if they are... Uh, They're doing things right for themselves and they're doing things right for their own farm. There's a lot of innovation amongst the organic farmers at the moment. And there may well be with non-organic farmers too. It's just I seem to speak to a lot more organic farmers because that's my job. So they're, they're really pushing me quite hard at the moment. They're innovating. They're fleet of foot. They're small. They are grabbing opportunity. And if they're not grabbing it, then they're making it. So... Organic farming at the moment is really exciting. There's a lot of good stories coming out of it. There's some wonderful ideas that people are doing whether it's on the agritourism front or if it's if it's just starting a new egg run or you've got a new vending machine that's selling all these wonderful products that have been sourced locally. There's just so much excitement and dynamism in the organic sector at the moment—it's a bright light when actually you feel like sometimes the world is is a bit a bit challenging for for us all just now.
2: I think with farming, we need to look to the future. We need to look at where we want to want to go. We need to sort of think about how our our farming practices and and how our jobs will affect the future of the planet. That might sound huge, but if enough farmers act together, we really can have an impact on, on on climate change. We can draw down carbon from the atmosphere. We can achieve that. Carbon sequestration, a huge thing. Organic regenerative farming, it will do that. It can do that. We need to focus on those positives and we we can make the world a, a better place. and And the thing is, in order to do that, we need to back organic farming. We need to back regenerative farming. And it shouldn't, in a way, be that difficult because backing it is just, by buying really tasty nutritious and healthy food in a way we're not asking people to do anything crazy i admit there might be a, a slight price premium and that won't be unfortunately for en- everyone but there are so many people out there that can that can back it and, and can afford to to maybe spend that little bit more and it's about priorities as well is it we, we spend money in so many different ways can we not Maybe sacrifice a little bit of our budget just to, to change the world, one bite at a time.
0: Hmm, food for thought there, certainly. Organic food for thought indeed. From Aberdeenshire farmer Phil Swire and Debs Roberts from SOPA, the Scottish Organic Producers Association. Thank you for listening to another episode of On Farm. As you may know, this is episode two of a brand new series and we release episodes every Monday morning. Find us by searching On Farm or one word in your podcast feed or searching online for www.podfollow.com/onfarm. Please, please, and we say this a lot, but it's really important, share on Farm with anyone you know who'd like to listen. If they aren't familiar with podcasting, just talk them through setting up a podcast player on their iPhone and subscribing to our feed. We do find, actually, that people who love listening to the radio also love listening to podcasts. So if you've got a relative who loves the radio, get them set up with podcasting and hopefully they will enjoy On Farm. Once it's set up, it's easy and the episodes arrive on your device as soon as we publish them. And here's the thing include at on underscore farm uk in a tweet telling us that you've introduced somebody new to on farm and we'll give you a shout out in an upcoming episode so just let us know and we'll say thanks it's the least we can do and we will see you next time